0: Hostile work environment. Exactly.
1: Hey, an appropriate workplace topic.
0: Hostile work environment.
1: Shut up. I'm the human resources director, Little Miss Hostile Work Environment.
0: Oh. Hello and welcome to the Hostile Work Environment. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. That was Thank really you. cool. <laughs> Okay. Now, everybody cheer who's actually listened to the Hostile Work Environment. Oh, wow. All right. Wow. Now, that's a surprise. Everybody cheer who's listened to more than one yeah, episode who didn't, like, of the did after their first one? Oh. All All right. All right. <laughs> We're amongst our people. Finally. Finally. Yeah. See, we, we, we record this in very solitary, confined spaces, and mm-hmm. we think that I'm
2: just stuck looking at him most of the time, so looking at all of you is
0: is it's a little it's a little trippy. But I think we're we're I think we can handle it. We can handle it. We're yeah. gonna power through. So for those of you who are not familiar with the podcast, which based on cheering is like two guys way in the back, I'm Dennis. I'm Mark. And we have a podcast. It's called the Hostile Work Environment with Mark and Dennis. You can find it on iTunes and SoundCloud and Stitcher Pretty and all your You can find
2: podcasts. Uh, just search Hostile Work Environment. You can find us, and there are
0: forty-nine episodes out, and this will be number fifty. As number I said before. fifty. And before we do anything, we always start each episode because we're lawyers with disclaimers. So, Mark, what is the one thing that we never dispense on the hostile work environment? Legal advice. Very good. You're not getting any legal advice from us tonight. We, we also like to say, are we representing anybody other than ourselves tonight? In terms of our, like, ludicrous, biased opinions? Exactly. No. No. It's so just Mark and Dennis. It's not it's our not, employers.
2: It's just the two of us.
0: It's not my firm who happens to be a sponsor. Blazer tickets, people. Um, not Bullard Law.
2: <laughs> so So now that you've told us where you don't work, where do you work? I work at Bullard Law. (laughs) Uh, And what do you do there? I'm a labor and employment lawyer. Where do you work? So I uh, am also a labor and employment lawyer. I am the chief human resources officer and corporate counsel for Neighborhood Health Center, which is a small nonprofit uh, health provider. Uh, I've been there for about four or five months and just kind of getting my
0: feet wet, stepping out of the pure legal role.
2: So. So
0: being lawyers it's been difficult for us to do a podcast because that's purely an auditory kind of thing. And we like PowerPoint presentations. We can't speak publicly without PowerPoint presentations. So we're going to have a whole lot of slides behind us. They all look exactly like like this. Um, I think you all have pen and paper. You should take really (laughs) good notes. So the one other disclaimer that we sometimes give is that... The hostile work environment is intended for mature audiences. This, so, is, this is not our raciest
2: episode that we're going to be doing tonight, but there may be, still be some, a, some a adult themes. So just
0: consider yourself warmed as we
2: are getting yeah. into this.
0: It is not our intent to offend or make anybody uncomfortable. There's plenty of fruit and vegetables out there that you can throw at us if we go there. Um, <laughs> we hope that you don't.
2: So, so, Dennis, what's the general theme? How, what's our format for folks who haven't listened to us? What are we going to be doing tonight?
0: What usually happens is each one of us will research a topic or a case or an issue and bring that to the show and share it with the other person. And we've done that tonight. Yeah, we try to find the craziest cases
2: that we can find out there. Uh, tell the story. We really like yeah. the storytelling aspect of employment law That's cases. why we're not
0: tax lawyers. Right.
2: No. That's why you're in HR. You like a good story. Occasionally, we'll have a little bit of a legal discussion, just a little.
0: A little bit. And then, after each of us will relate or share some sort of story, we close every episode with a listener-submitted story. And we've managed to get 49 stories so far. We've never had an episode without one. And we're hoping that for the first time, we can have somebody from our audience... Come up here, sit next to Mark, I'll restrain him, and tell what you think is the most awesome HR story. So for the next however long it takes us to prattle on, be thinking about like, wow, if I was just like called on and shamed by all of my peers to get up and tell a story, what would I tell? Because frankly, that's exactly what's going to happen in about half an hour. So you got 30 minutes to kind of figure out like, you know, what crazy outlandish HR thing am I going to get up and tell the whole wide world? Not just the people in this room, but like literally tens of people who also listen to this podcast. <laughs> so, so on that note, I, I hear you have a really good story to tell us. Right. And, and the other part of the format, we never tell each other what we're going to talk about ahead of time. It's always a surprise. So Mark has no idea other than I told him. My story originates in the sunshine state of Florida, which if you listen to the podcast, half of our content comes from the sunshine state of Florida. I want to tell you the story of a woman named Marcy Lynn Deutsch. Marcy Lynn Deutsch had one of those enviable jobs that we all want. She was able to work from home. She worked from home, and her job was to talk a lot on the telephone. And her boss told her very early on in her career that, look, Marcy, you need to do whatever it takes to keep the person on the phone as long as possible. And Marcy apparently did just that. Except Marcy's job duties as a telephone operator ended up causing her to have carpal tunnel syndrome and repetitive motion injuries in both hands. Okay. What happens when you injure yourself at work? File a comp claim, right? Well, that's what she did. She wanted the $30,000 that these operations cost her, and she wanted back pay of $267 a week. Oh. I figure this is what hurt? Marcy Lynn Deutsch
2: looks like. Okay, and, and for those for those listening, we'll put all these slides in our show notes on our website. So,
0: And we means Mark. So here's Marcy Lynn Deutsch. So she goes out and she finds this guy, a lawyer. More on him later. But Marcy files a workers' comp claim saying, you know, I injured my hands operating the telephone at work. Sounds legit. Except her employer and the worker's comp carrier said, like, well, Marcy, how is it that you injured both hands? Because <laughs> usually when you're dialing a telephone and operating the machinery, that's kind of a one-handed operation. Well, Marcy worked for a company called CFP Enterprises, Inc. They're located in Fort Lauderdale, and I have no idea what CFP stands for. But Marcy's job was a phone sex operator. Oh the plot thickens. And when Marcy was told, Marcy, you got to do whatever it takes to keep the customers on the phone for as long as you can, she took that to heart and other parts of her body. (laughs) So Marcy figured out that the way for me to best entertain my clients was to entertain myself as well while I talked to them on the telephone. That according to Marcy, made her oohs and ahs and moans and groans realistic, making her a more popular sex phone operator. Or phone sex operator. Yeah. So, she hired this legal genius, a guy by the name of Stephen Slutsky, to represent her on a workers' comp claim. So, our friend Marcy here goes to the Florida Department of Labor and Employment Security to say, my job duties required me to masturbate on the telephone. And as a result, I now have carpal tunnel syndrome in both hands. This being Florida, the Department of Labor and Employment Security settled her claim for an undisclosed amount. So she was, in other words, granted workers' comp benefits. Mark?
2: <laughs> oh, no. I am not a workers' comp and it's going to start there. Neither am I. Start there.
0: Anything in this workers' comp case seem unusual to you?
2: Well, that it's a sex worker to begin with, and a
0: little unusual.
2: Working from home and carpal tunnel. How do we know that it was the sex work as opposed to other activities she
0: was in? We don't. But here's the thing: this is what happens <laughs> when you allow somebody to work from home. You don't know. You cannot control the work environment or their on and off duty activities at all. This is what you get.
2: And how do you figure out the difference? How do you You litigate the difference?
0: You don't. You don't. So there is one of the dangers of working from home. Yeah. Also, this is what you get when you give very vague job descriptions. Do whatever it takes. Because some (laughs) people, like Ms. Deutsch, will take that to great lengths. Yeah, clearly. So, Stephen Slutsky, the guy behind me on the uh, PowerPoint slide. That's not the kind of picture you usually see when you go to some lawyer's website. It is the kind of photo you go when that's you go to That's actually him, though. That's actually okay, him. That's, that's, that's Stephen Slutsky. Okay. I couldn't get a picture of Marilyn Deutsch. Sorry, people. Um, I tried. I Facebooked. I did all that stuff. Couldn't find her. But I found her lawyer. So that's not his website photo. That's his Florida Department of Corrections photo. Uh-oh. Steven Slutsky ended up pleading guilty to 15 felony charges in October of 2017. 15, you said? 15 15 felony charges. He would pay tow truck drivers to tip him off to auto accident victims. Oh, no. And then he would accept kickbacks from medical clinics that would then write up phony injury reports for his newfound clients. And the state of Florida took a dim view of that practice. Yeah, I was going to say, it's been probably 12 or 13
2: years since I took the ethics bar. I think that's generally frowned upon.
0: Generally frowned upon. Even in Florida.
2: Even in even in Florida.
0: <laughs> even in Florida. So, I ran into this case and I thought this is the perfect hostile work environment case. And I thought, you know, workplace masturbation is probably not a big problem. And then I read about a case out of Brazil. Oh, Miss, we're going to leave the world of Workers' Calm and go into the world of Miss Anna Katerian Bezerra. Okay. I have a picture of her. There she is. Here's Ms. Bezera. Okay. She was a 36-year-old accountant, or still is, probably not still 36, people age. She had an interesting medical condition. It was a brain chemical imbalance that caused her to have two major symptoms. One was anxiety, the other is a condition known as hypersexuality. Ms. Bezzera, at the height of her condition, needed to masturbate 47 times a day. (laughs) That doesn't leave a lot of
2: time for anything else.
0: That that (laughs) makes work kinda awkward. It doesn't make work a
2: little difficult.
0: So what do you do When you are Ms. Bezzaro.
2: I think, well, if she were in the United States, maybe she's asking for some kind of accommodation. And she did! Something like a lactation room, but for masturbation?
0: Exactly! She asked for an accommodation from her employer. Now, I don't know what Brazil calls it. I'm going to assume it's called the BDA, the Brazil Disabilities Act. Act. Brazilians (laughs) with Disabilities Disabilities Act. Act. Yeah. So she asked her employer for the accommodation to be allowed to masturbate and watch pornography at work okay. at least 15 minutes every two hours. Okay. So That's Mar- a lot of time. You've represented the occasional American employer. I'm kind of curious, if you got that type of request, what would your response be?
2: That sounds excessive.
0: She should not masturbate that much? or It sounds
2: like an excessive amount of time to not be doing your job. Okay. Over the course of the day.
0: Is there an acceptable amount of masturbation at work? Probably,
2: if it's a legit disability, but I just, I don't know how she can perform the essential duties of most jobs. What was her job, did you, did you say? Um, she was an accountant. So You mean, can be
0: pretty flexible. I guess you can be very flexible with that duties?
2: if she's still able to perform the essential functions of the job with that accommodation and get her work done in a way that's reasonable... For her employer, I mean, maybe you can give that much time. Interesting. I did not think you would entertain this as much as I, you do. I, well, it's just, it, it depends on the job duties. right? Is she, are there meetings she has to be at? Are there things she cannot do because of the amount of time that she's missing? Or is it just she's got her own files and I, she's I, doing her accounting work and she's just got to take a break a couple times an hour and come on back and she can and get the work done. There's in the time a that's, lot
0: here that we don't know. Because yeah. unfortunately, you can't look up Brazilian case law on Westlaw. Shocking! Shocking! And all we've got are English language translations of Portuguese news articles. But what we do know is that Ms. Bezerra sued her employer. They fired her, I assume. They well, they denied her accommodation. They denied the accommodation. She sued, and under Brazilian law, she won. They said that she won. It was a reasonable accommodation to provide masturbation breaks at work. I'm not sure that would happen here. Go Brazil! Go Brazil! That takes us to our third little story. I'm still amazed that this is a problem in the workplace, even in places like Brazil and the United States, well, Florida. Um, There's another one I found. This is a guy, we don't know his name. We just know that he was a residential care officer. That's the job title. He worked at a state-run Australian nursing home. He filed a workers' compensation claim for a hernia caused by lifting a patient. We're back to workers' comp. Part, okay, sorry. back to workers' comp land. He won his workers' compensation claim. Yeah, you that hurt yourself sense. lifting a heavy patient. That's probably a workers' comp claim, right? No, but wait! Turns out before the reported injury, he happened to tell a co-worker that, and I'm oh, going to no. remove a certain <laughs> I made the eufem- mistake
2: of reading Dennis's script for a I'm second. I'm going to
0: remove a certain <laughs> euphemism here he had pulled himself too hard while masturbating, and that as a result, he suffered a sharp pain in the gut. Well, his co-worker reports that to the boss. Who reports that to the boss? And (laughs) all of a sudden, the Queensland Industrial Relations Commission is appealing the grant of workers' compensation rights. And they win. It turns out this guy, kind of like our first person, Ms. Deutsch, liked to fondle himself in the workplace. Oh, boy. Unlike Ms. Deutsch, that was not part of his job duties. No. Implicit or explicit. And so he was denied workers' comp benefits.
2: If it was caused by something that was unrelated to work or, right? right? If that condition existed beforehand, that's going to be a problem from a workers' comp standpoint. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Anybody here been to Queensland? It is the Florida of Australia. <laughs> they have crocodiles. They have stuff like this.
2: Onward oh, man. <laughs> to Great Britain. You're taking us everywhere. I it's a, it's around case.
0: the world. Now we're oh, in Great man. Britain. Okay. Don't worry, I'm almost done. This is a guy. His name is Mark Sargent. He is not a known workplace masturbator. <laughs> For the record, as far as we know, Mark Sargent's never done that. He is, however, a senior lecturer in psychology at Nottingham Trent University. Okay, go Nottingham. And Mark Sargent's research is workplace relations. Mark Sargent is a proponent of masturbation breaks at work.
2: That's what he's putting his career on?
0: Yes. He says that that would be very effective in the workplace and be a great way to relieve tension and stress. Sure. Now, (laughs) I'm reading all of these cases and going like, there is an entire world of workplace bad behavior that is completely new to me. And I've been doing this for almost 20 years. I thought I had seen every single thing. And no. So... I did some research, which, by the way, don't research this topic like I did in the Starbucks. Things you don't want your neighbor <laughs> to see will pop up. Probably but, not on
2: your work laptop either.
0: I, yeah, I, I still did my research. It turns out that recent polls, and this isn't like some flaky thing. We're talking about Time Out New York, Glamour Magazine, Vice Media, say that between 31 and 40% of all employees, male and female, admit to masturbating at work.
2: Sorry, that face doesn't work well for a podcast. Oh my God.
0: 30 to 40%! Look around! (laughs) Don't look around. Don't look around. (laughs) So Mark Sargent says, why keep this under wraps? We should institute places for people to enjoy themselves in the workplace as a stress reducer. Anybody here think that's a great idea? OK, No those hands? Of you listening at home. Tumbleweeds, <laughs> crickets. Um, Mr. Sargent hasn't really suggested where that would take place. I'm thinking the same room that we give to the nursing mothers would probably do double duty. Oh my. No. So now I'm curious. I've got a whole room full of HR people, 90% of whom are looking at me wishing I would shut up and go away. I will in just a minute. But has anybody actually had to deal with a workplace masturbation issue? Show of hands. Oh, there's a few. Wow. There's a few. Just just to be careful, show of both hands. <laughs> <laughs> So, as you know, we're going to have story time in a little bit, not, you know, some people back there raised their hand. I'm kind of curious to hear. Mark, have you ever had this happen?
2: No, I, I haven't had that come up, actually, no.
0: Wow.
2: <laughs> that was totally not intended, that pun. All right. I didn't even catch it. Yeah, no.
0: You want to repeat that?
2: It, I haven't had it come up. I was kidding.
0: Yeah. All right. That's what I had for us tonight. That's all I got.
2: Thank you, Dennis. That was You're wonderful. Um, so just for some context here, I had a case ready last night that I was i was like just kind of feeling out Dennis, see if he thought it would be a good idea. And he told me it was too racy after he just talked about five stories about masturbation. So listen to episode 51 if you want to hear that. Yes. I have another great case to talk mm-hmm. about tonight. And so we are now off to the great state of Minnesota. Uh, this case, I want to attribute my, our very good friend, Kate Bishop. She's a Minnesota attorney, hey, Kate, uh, friend of the podcast. She's been on the podcast before. She told me about this gem of a case out of Minnesota uh, on a topic that we haven't talked about before on the podcast. And, Whoa. and, and there's not many, there's going to be a lot of like making fun of Minnesota here because it's kind of a downer case. So while I'm talking about this downer case, we're going to be, there's going to be some stuff to laugh about. And I was thinking about this this morning. I realized my wife used to live in Iowa. And she has this shirt. I'm going to hold up the shirt. I'm going to step away from the mic here for a second just to kind of give an idea of what people in the Midwest think about Minnesota. This is what people in Iowa think of Minnesota. If you can't read it, it says, Iowa, our trees bend north because Minnesota sucks.
0: <laughs> so with that lead in. Um, Are you, you saying, saying <laughs> Minnesota is the Florida of the north?
2: It might be after you hear this case. All right. We'll see. All right. So, Dennis, are you familiar with the uh, company Honeywell? That's their logo. Yeah, they You've make the
0: fire alarm or two, right? Yeah,
2: they're, oh, thermostats oh, is their thermostat. biggest business, but they okay. make other stuff like fire alarms. Um, huge company, uh, $40 billion in revenue in 2017. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some Honeywell employees. This is an old case, so this goes back quite a ways. Um, this is Randy. Uh, Honeywell hired Randy in 1977. He worked. No, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead.
0: Randy has an inmate number. I'm, I'm kind of curious. Did he have that when Honeywell hired him?
2: No, he did okay. not. But good use of foreshadowing, Dennis. Oh, <laughs> so
0: totally unscripted.
2: Totally unscripted. Yeah. He figured that out just from looking at the slide. Okay. Um, so Honeywell hired Randy in 1977. He worked there for a couple of years uh, but in 1979, he did something very bad. Uh, he murdered his girlfriend, Nancy.
0: Ooh,
2: uh, who also happened to be a Honeywell employee.
0: Ooh.
2: He pleaded guilty and he was sentenced to eight years in prison. In, wait, wait,
0: wait. You, you murder somebody in Minnesota, you get eight years.
2: Uh, just eight years. I don't know. He pled guilty. Like you don't even murder I, somebody in I, I, Wisconsin. I don't know about... You go to
0: life and you get a Netflix documentary.
2: Right. No, here no. it's... it's Who knows what, what other circumstances there were. If pleading guilty got him a reduced sentence. I don't know. Uh. I don't have that background. But uh, if eight years felt like not enough, it actually got cut down to four and a half years. He got released early for good behavior. Wow. So in 1984, he's, re- he's released from prison. Uh, now rehabilitated... He reapplies for a position with Honeywell, and Honeywell hires him again.
0: Oh, way to go, Honeywell.
2: And they hired him as, right, more foreshadowing here. I see nothing
0: wrong there.
2: Honeywell hires him as a custodian in their general office's facility in South Minneapolis in August of 1984. Any comments on that decision? You think that's a good idea, bad idea?
0: Usually, you know, most of my clients don't rehire the murderers of their coworkers.
2: Right. Generally not something I would maybe think about doing.
0: Yeah. I I might might have
2: some concerns.
0: I might think twice. All right. So although as we've talked about on the podcast, we applaud employers who work with recently released and rehabilitated inmates to help them get back into society i just right. don't know if the same
2: employer i just maybe
0: not mm, a great idea I don't
2: know. all right so now that he's rehired uh he's back on the right track things are going great for randy um except they're not so in the next three years of his employment he was transferred two times uh, in 1986 and 1987, due to workplace confrontations. Uh, specifically, he's accused of sexually harassing female employees, and he challenged a male coworker to a fight. Uh, that was the first location he was at. Then he gets transferred. Then he threatened to kill a coworker during a confrontation they had following a minor car accident. So I think he's got some anger issues.
0: Probably. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe a little. Did, did he get like a, a documented verbal warning for that death threat or um, uh, any sort of consequence? One would hope, but
2: I don't, the case just doesn't go into that level okay. of detail because we're going to go into some other stuff that happened in more detail. Oh, God. Yeah. So uh, in April of 1988, Honeywell hires a woman named Kathleen. Kathleen is assigned to Randy's maintenance crew. They become friends and they start spending some time together away from work.
0: Uh-oh. Uh, Oh, somebody needs to talk to Kathleen.
2: Well, that might not have happened early enough. So, all right. Time moves on. Randy starts expressing a romantic interest in Kathleen. Kathleen decides that Randy's a creeper. Uh, oh. stop spending time with him outside of work.
0: Good call. Kathleen,
2: uh, true to form. He starts harassing her. Uh, the behavior talked about in the case was threatening phone calls is how it started. On June 30th, 1988, Kathleen tells her supervisor about the harassment that she's receiving because of Randy. The next day, July 1st, 1988, Kathleen finds a death threat on her locker that reads, One more day dead.
0: One more... Whoa.
2: Which may be not great for grammar, but it's, it's pretty threatening. But we're talking Randy. We're talking Randy.
0: Not the sharpest tool in the Minnesota shed.
2: Right. So... When that occurred, Honeywell management went to the police uh, with called. Kathleen's concerns, uh, and Randy stopped coming to work as of that same day.
0: Six on th- his own accord? Or they actually it have the it, it implies
2: like- that it's on his own accord, yeah. but it doesn't, it doesn't say one way or the other. Six days later, Kathleen gets reassigned to another plant, so she's distant from where she had been working, uh, and she changed her telephone number. Uh, the next day, Randy calls a supervisor and, and officially says, I want to resign, uh, Honeywell formally accepted that resignation a few days later on July 11th.
0: It, it took them four, them four or five days. I again,
2: it. I'm trying to take different parts of the facts of the case and put them into an actual narrative. And sometimes okay. when you do that, the dates between the New York Times article and the case okay. and other stuff, I don't know. I'm just thinking so, like, but it's somewhere between your, July 7th and July 11th.
0: Harasser, multiple death threater wants to resign. I think you accept right away.
2: Right. It, <laughs> It's said that Honeywell formally accepted. Who knows what they said to him on the phone, mm-hmm. if there's documentation that shows resignation accepted on this day. I just, I don't H- know.
0: Honeywell moves at a glacial pace. Glacial pace, pace. No. okay. Eight days
2: later, six hours after her shift at work ended, Randy shoots and kills Kathleen on her driveway at home. Oh my God. With a close range shotgun blast. He's convicted of first degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. And that's where that photograph that I found comes from. Oh wow. So I... I mean it when I said this is a downer case. Um, so because of that, I've got a naked guy in Minnesota trying to cut his way through a, a, an icy pond just to try to lighten things up a little maybe. It helps. <laughs> um, so, Dennis, any idea what claim we're going to talk about here?
0: Wrongful death.
2: Yes, with what having been done wrong to lead to that wrongful death action.
0: I would say the potential negligence on behalf of Honeywell to rehire a murderer, a convicted murderer of your employees, right? And putting them in a position to date, harass, stalk and kill your employees after that.
2: That's pretty much dead on. So, oh gosh. Oh, I did about, not mean well, that. Again. Oh. Okay, so
0: the chief pun officer The chief pun
2: unintended pun officer. All right, so Kathleen's estate brings a wrongful death action against Honeywell based on theories of negligent hiring, retention, and supervision of a dangerous employee. Ah. So Judge Dennis, you are on the Minnesota Court of Appeals. Yes. What do you think about this claim? Do you think that Honeywell owed a duty to Kathleen, right? And keeping in mind that this is a state law negligence claim, that 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 tort can kind of differ in some respects from state to state— what elements do you think that Kathleen's estate would need to show that Honeywell negligently hired and or retained uh, Randy? Good
0: question. Usually to, to show a claim of negligence, negligence, you have to show that there was a known risk to a person to whom you owed some sort of a duty and you either ignored or flaunted that risk somehow that led to their injury. And here I think that's a, actually a really good case for, for Kathleen's estate.
2: So would you make a distinction between the hiring and the retention components of that?
0: Yes, probably. Okay, why? I think you could look at a hiring situation, and we don't know all the history between Randy and his, his first girlfriend.
2: Right, but we do know that history. We also know his history after having been rehired of some of his other shenanigans, including harassment and threatening other employees. So with that in
0: mind. I think you could make a case as Honeywell as the employer that says, look, Randy messed up once, did his time, served his penance. We wanted to give him a second chance. But when Randy continues to display antisocial behaviors after that, I think that's where you really start to run into, wait a minute. Here's somebody that's got a pretty checkered past. By the way, murderer, more than a little more checkered. More than a little checkered, yeah. You've got somebody who's a convicted murderer, and now they're making death threats. I don't think you keep that person. I
2: don't think so either. Was Randy yeah. a union
0: employee, by the way? I mean, it does that- not get into okay. whether. I, oh. I
2: imagine he probably was, but I don't know. I'm just guessing. Okay. But I don't know. So you think maybe not so much on the hiring, but maybe on the retention? Oh,
0: I'm, I'm not in favor of rehiring your convicted murder employees. But if you do, at least sign them up to some sort of a last chance agreement that says, look, one step out of line and we're calling your parole officer and you're fired. Right. Which they apparently they clearly didn't, do, didn't because do he had many steps over the line.
2: So the Minnesota Court of Appeals. So this case came up to the Minnesota Court of Appeals on... Honeywell's motion for summary judgment. So Honeywell's trying to get this case dismissed. And they agreed with Judge Dennis. Yay! Which happens more often than I'd like to admit. Yeah. Um, So they make a big distinction between hiring and retention in this case. They say... That negligent hiring is placing a person with known propensities or propensities which should have been discovered by reasonable investigation in an employment position which, because of the circumstances of the employment, it would have been foreseeable that that hired individual posed a threat of injury to Mm -hmm. others. And they said, that's not the case here when it comes to the hiring Uh of Randy. Because Honeywell did not owe a duty to Kathleen at the time that they hired him. Really? Really.
0: Did Kathleen, was she not yet born? I mean, what, what's going on here? They
2: say, well, or to anybody. I, they say Kathleen, oh. but I believe they mean anybody, right? By saying his job as a maintenance worker, whose job responsibilities entailed no exposure to the general public, required limited contact with co-employees, meant that his duties did not involve an inherent danger to others. And Kathleen was not a reasonably foreseeable victim at the time that Randy was hired.
0: Oh, interesting. But.
2: But in light of his other behavior to retain him this became foreseeable potentially and they booted the case back down to the trial court to go to trial on the retention claim gotcha. i don't know how that came out i don't know if it settled or right. or pled out we or don't what, always uh, yeah, that i just don't know what happened with so, that but that did go to the jury theoretically
0: so does that mean you should have different disciplinary standards for different employees based on their criminal backgrounds or lack thereof.
2: Maybe. I mean, I don't like that. It, th- I don't like that at all. But clearly, a different standard, according to this court, in the early 90s, is a 1993 case. Yeah. Right? According to this court, you might look at the employee differently, maybe not based on the initial conviction right, release and coming back to work. But it's certainly on the behavior that happened after that, that, you wow. know, Honeywell should have done more is what the case was saying. And maybe, Man, that's, that's maybe fire the guy after, you know, the sexual harassment and you're right, threatening somebody after a car accident and getting into fights. And that once that behavior continued again, anybody, I guess, could be a foreseeable victim. They were wow. saying that should go to a jury.
0: Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say after those three strikes, you should fire even your non-murderer employees. Yes, might be something to think about.
2: Indeed. So that's our case for Minnesota.
0: Very cool. Thank you, Mark. That was you a good are one. very
2: welcome. All right. Do we have another slide here? Are, are you, I don't know. Are you guys tired of hanging or
0: This, this all is. Right. I was. Oh, uh, there we go. All right. That brings us to story time. So. You've gotten a little bit of a flavor of what our podcast is about. And those of you who haven't thrown up your hors d'oeuvres are still in the room. So would anybody like to get up and tell a story? Okay, I warned you.
2: Don't all run up at one. We
0: went to law school. We can just, like, pick on people.
2: <laughs> Socratic method works. we realize that it's hard to tell stories sometimes when you don't want to expose yourself and your employer so we get that um but hopefully well amy has some stories you want to come and tell us one or two of those stories
1: i don't have any masturbation stories but i do have murder suicide oh come on over come on over that fits the theme steal my mics
0: so amy please introduce yourself uh
1: my name is amy and i'm with perma which is our event tonight. All righty. And uh, I do have a story that goes along with Mark's. Oh, great. It was not my story, by the way. I just want to point that out. It was submitted by another PERMA member. Uh, So, uh, story goes, after completing my training as a management candidate, my first HR specialty was as the risk management coordinator. I did several things, but handling workers' comp was the lion's share of my work. We had an employee jump from a high floor to his death, and I was called up to investigate. The head of security was with me, and when he realized who it was, he called housekeeping and asked where a certain supervisor was working. She was the estranged wife of this man, and he had a bad feeling. Uh, When he learned she was inspecting rooms on the 19th floor, he and I went to look for her. We knocked and then entered several suites before finding, before finding her. It was a scene out of a Charles Manson nightmare. Uh, it was clear that she fought for her life, but was stabbed over 70 times. Uh, it was an image I'll not forget. After checking for a pulse, we exited and secured the room until police arrived. I then had to complete reports for both employees. A murder victim and a suicide.
2: Just a typical day in HR.
1: Right. Oh wow. And the really the really scary part is he says uh, that was only one murder from his experience oh in God. HR <laughs> on the job murder. So. Oh
2: man. <laughs> wow. Okay. Ouch. Apparently, apparently, with Halloween coming up, it's the death and dismemberment episode of <laughs> hostile work environment. Yeah.
0: Not necessarily the theme we expect. No, I don't think we planned for that. We've got Halloween decorations all around. It's good. All right, do you have another short one? I do. All right, let's do one more. Anybody else? Well, well.
1: Anybody else? Anybody
0: inspired by that? Okay, Amy, you're on. We're getting some looks.
1: So this one is actually from my own workplace. Uh Uh, So I had a small workplace location with less than 15 employees. There was one girl and the rest were guys. For the most part, everyone behaved themselves. However, at one point, we had a little conflict with one of the guys and the girl. The guy thought he would be funny and put a sign on the back of the girl's truck. She wasn't impressed. The sign said, honk if you want a blank job. Uh, Go ahead and infer what you wish there. Um Needless to say, he didn't work for us much longer after that. Oh my. because he admitted yeah. it freely oh. and oh. willingly because he again thought he was funny.
2: We've had a couple no of credit people, right? for honesty yeah. No <laughs> I mean we, we've had a couple of crazy stories that we've told at the end of the podcast where like the harasser inappropriate, actor comes in. It's like, oh, yeah, I did that. What's wrong with that? Yeah. Yeah, it's totally cool. Yeah. No, easy easy termination in that case. All right. Well, thank you. And thanks to everybody here. Yeah, for
0: putting up with us. And yeah. Any, cheering.
2: Any closing thoughts, uh, Dennis, before we sign off?
0: Yes. <laughs> um, that, w- that was a very subtle hint to do our usual plugs for if you want to listen to more of this kind of blather and you know do it not with children in the car or your your you know priest or minister, um, go to www.hwepodcast.com or yep. just look for the hostile work environment. Environment can't say that word on
2: iTunes or iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcast.
0: Wherever you get podcasts.
2: All right. Very good. Well, thank you note, to Perma. Thank, thank you to you all of very you. Much.
1: Thanks, baby. Did I ever tell you that this here jacket represents a symbol of my individuality and my belief in personal freedom? About 50,000 times.